Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. Thankful to be in his house. Amen. You may be seated this morning. We have been talking about following Jesus in this study over the past few weeks and we have had a great time because who is who is better to follow than the Lord brother Everett started our journey this this series talking to us about being propelled into purpose being led by the spirit and being surrendered to the call brother Rayleigh followed him and spoke to us about not being stopped by rejection once we obey that call, that no matter what man may say, that God's call supersedes it, and the rejection of man cannot supersede God. And then Brother Wayne Williams last week, in his own unique way, told us that choosing to be a disciple, that there is absolutely nothing better on this earth. And I would agree that being a disciple of Jesus and being what he's called us to be is no, there's no higher calling. And so in order to do all of those things, we're going to conclude our study this month with, with talking about following the teachings of Jesus. Because all these things that we've talked about this month, if we don't apply them, then they'll just fall by the wayside. And so... It sounds very elementary, but it is quite true that if we are going to be a disciple of Jesus, we are going to have to follow his teachings. And the fact of the matter is, is that God expects us to follow his word in order to do so. Luke chapter 6 will begin this morning, specifically in chapter 6, verse 46. We'll be studying in the book of Luke. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, will kind of meander back and forth between him and Matthew this morning. But Luke, Luke records the words of Jesus in Luke 6 and 46 and says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Following Jesus. When we think about the word follow, it it evokes certain connotations. Perhaps the more mature generation this morning remembers the days without GPS and the reliability of having to physically follow someone to a destination. Perhaps on the other end of that spectrum, our more youthful audience this morning, when hearing that word, it may invoke the action or the thought of a like button or a follow status button on a social media platform. I suppose that either one of those can 
find its application of what we will discuss here today. However, the destination that we are speaking of is much more important than a restaurant that we're traveling to. And what and who we are attempting to follow is far greater than the foremost celebrity's social media presence. Because what we are talking about here today is a kingdom and a king that really expects us to follow him. Now when we speak of following Jesus, it's, it's certainly more than a casual or a distant attendance. No, it requires a close adherence and it, it requires an immediate attention. And with that, and perhaps rightly so, that has the ability to cause some reservation or trepidation with the fear present or resident in some of falling short of that task and perhaps the potential resident in others of self-denial or at least the potential of self-denial, we could all, if we're honest, find ourselves in the position of following him in a word, daunting. After all, we are talking about Jesus. But I'm thankful this morning that we have not just been handed a list, that we have not just been handed some pamphlet and said, figure it out on your own, because with the help of the Holy Ghost, we can do and we can be and we can give what God requires of us. And God does require a response. The Lord requires a response to his word. However, Jesus did not just come to give us more rules and regulations to live by. He did not come to be a taskmaster or to create a comprehensive list of do's and don'ts to govern our lives. Jesus admitted his appearing and he admitted the, 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 the reasoning behind his appearance. He said in his own words that he came that man might have abundant life, a more abundant life, in fact. He did not come to eradicate the law that had been established, but he came to fulfill that law. And in that, he broadened the scope, and Jesus took that law and made some very real-world applications. Jesus exemplified the law. He did it through his actions. He did it through the facilitation of his love for humanity in the shedding of his blood and the making available of the infilling of his spirit. For what the law of Moses could not accomplish because of sinful flesh, the spirit of the living God living on the inside of us serves to write that established law upon the heart of man, giving him the ability to live a life that is pleasing to God. Instead of a list of things a person should not do, the Spirit provides an opportunity for a relationship with the King. It provides an opportunity for a close relationship, not just with the law, but with the law giver, leading to an open door to a vast kingdom in which a person can experience absolute and true freedom. 
it then becomes not what I can't do, but what is now available unto me to accomplish. I now can experience all that God has to offer through his kingdom. And can I tell you some of those things here this morning? Through him and through his spirit, we now have the opportunity to live in a an absolute position of worship unto him. We now, with his spirit and what is offered through his kingdom, have the liberty to worship him in spirit and in truth. We now have the freedom to live from underneath the bondage of sin and shame and to possess the ability to discern right from wrong rather than having to consult a list. And then we can experience the true love of Jesus Christ both received and reciprocated to him and to the world around me. That's what the Spirit has here to offer here this morning. Not a list of you can't do this and you can't do that, but an open door to what you can experience in God. And some fear a life without limits, and they seek to place a set of rigid rules in which to live by. While others would like to remove all the stops and just live a life with no restraint and move headlong into whatever it is that they would want to move into. The fact of the matter is this, is that both of those are dangerous. On the one hand, there simply is not a rule for every single scenario that we are going to face in this life. Can I get an amen in the 21st century? This book is alive this book is living and breathing, and it is for all generations, for all ages. But it's not a list of do's and don'ts for everything that we are going to face in this life. And so when pitfalls open that aren't supported by some, some specific rule, the potential for failure exists. On the other spectrum, the life that is lived without limits where all the doors are open and all the stops are removed, it opens the door for all manner of deadly things and failure is inevitable. Jesus came not to give a one or the other, but Jesus came to give kingdom balance. And Jesus came to give us kingdom principles in which to live by rather than religious rules or an anything goes existence. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly and he came that we might live a life of true blessing because the fact of the matter is this, friends, pitfalls most assuredly will open. Pitfalls will most assuredly occur. The life of the, of the saint living for God will not always be easy. And if I don't get another amen, it doesn't always feel like a blessing. We've all heard, perhaps even used it ourselves, the word blessed. I have a friend, she likes to say all the time, blessed. She's not looking at me and that's okay. Blessed. 
what we really mean is, if we're honest with each other, is that life is going well. I'm blessed. A new car. Blessed. Money in the bank. Blessed. A secure future. Blessed. A good job. Blessed. And the list go on and on. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There is absolutely nothing in and of themselves wrong with these things. And I would agree that these are, can be, and are potentially blessings in life. But hear me this morning. Things are not the only and quite certainly not at the top of the list of what denotes blessing or living a blessed life. In fact, in Matthew 5, paralleled in Luke 6, Jesus is teaching the people. And he says things like this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry. Now you can look around and you can clearly see that these are counter culture to what is being passed in this day as being a blessing. In the world around us, the edicts of this world, and certainly in some areas or some circles of even what is known as the church world, these are not highly sought-after traits. These are not highly sought-after stations in life. But Jesus went on to say in Matthew 5 and 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs... <laughs> is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught that life would go well, but even better yet, that life would end well for those who learn to value the things that are opposite of what this world celebrates, to live in a kingdom view, to live in a kingdom mindset, to live with the king in view and to completely and utterly buy in to that kingdom. But in order to buy in to that kingdom, we must stop clutching the things of this world's kingdom. Now when I say the world, I'm not talking about specifically people, but the world's mindset, the the world, the spirit of this age, if we would call it that. The world, it really hates this sort of teaching. The world, the, the mindset of the spirit of this age really, really wants to kick against this sort of teaching, this sort of things. But Jesus said that real disciples, he said that true disciples who, who work to make the world a better place will, not perhaps, not maybe, but they will be persecuted. But they're blessed. They will be hungry. But they're blessed. They might not have a million dollars in the bank. But they're blessed. They may not have the next meal already, already mapped out. They may not know what they're wearing tomorrow or what they might drive to get to somewhere to make enough money to work, but they will be and they are blessed. Now, it's getting kind of tight because this goes against our humanistic thinking. But he said in Luke 6 and 22, 
Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company. If everybody's speaking good about you, you might have an issue. And shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Verse 23, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy for behold your reward is great in heaven for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets the apostles actually took Jesus's words as literal in Acts chapter 5 for they did actually rejoice the very first time they were beaten understanding that what had happened to them placed them in the same league with the prophets who had gone before them I believe without a shadow of a doubt we might not understand it but this will apply in the 21st century church just like it applied in the first century church in the birth of it. We can expect opposition. We already know that. We've already felt that. We've already seen the effects of it. But can we really understand persecution? We know that opposition is available. But can we really understand persecution? And to that, I would pose these questions. How else can we be counted faithful unless our faith is tested and tried? And how else can we exemplify steadfast commitment to truth if no lie exists? Not everyone will believe what you believe. And so opposition and persecution are inevitable, but opposition and persecution will reveal the true nature of a disciple. Now, we've heard this before, but I believe that it's pertinent to our study this morning. The, Bi the Biosphere 2 project was created as a research tool for scientists to study Earth's living systems, allowing scientists to play with farming and innovation in a way that didn't harm the planet. However, one of the most profound discoveries made by the scientists had nothing to do with a cure for some new disease or a new way of farming land. Rather, the discovery had to do with the wind's role in a tree's life. The trees inside Biosphere 2 grew rapidly, more rapidly than they would outside of the dome, outside of the manufactured Scenario outside of the manufactured atmosphere that they were in, they grew rapidly, much more rapidly than they would outside, but they fell over before they reached maturity. After looking at the root systems and the outer layers of bark, the scientists came to realize that a lack of wind in Biosphere 2 caused a deficiency of stress wood. Stress wood helps a tree position itself for optimal sun absorption and it also helps trees grow more solidly. Without stress wood, a tree can grow quickly, but it cannot support itself fully. Therefore, it cannot withstand normal wear and tear to survive. In other words, the trees needed the opposing force of the wind in order to thrive in the long run. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also 
persecute you. He reiterated it over and over, but he also followed it up with have no fear for I have already overcome the world. There will be opposition. There will be persecution, but be of good cheer and of good heart. It's for your good because God will always work the evil for your good because what the devil intended for your downfall, what the devil intended to put you down under the ground with, God can turn it around and make it into something good. He reiterated over and over that there will be opposition, there will be opposing forces, but opposition can shape you for the good if and only if our attitude and our motives remain pure and that is what creates maturity. So even in the face of opposing forces, even in the face of opposing spiritual persecution, we must strive to keep a pure heart. Hebrews 12 and 14, follow peace with all men, not just church people. Follow peace with all men, not just your family. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Either do it with all or no man will see him. There have been a lot of so-called Christian things that have done been done under the auspices of selfishness and ulterior motives. And so it absolutely matters what we do. It absolutely matters what we do. But hear me now, I'll go one step further than that. It's equally as important, if not more, it matters why we do what we do. Matthew 5 and 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. With this, Jesus outlines a new set of values by which disciples are to be driven. Now you have to understand why he's saying what he's saying and where he's at when he's saying what he's saying. We, we are looking at a, a sermon, a snapshot of, a, of, a, of, a, of teaching that he is doing on this mountain in the midst of an upheaval in their government. They're, they're under the oppression of an, of an oppressing government and they feel like God should deliver them out, that he should do it by force and that they actually believe that the Messiah will come and do that for them and set up his kingdom on earth. But Jesus is telling them, blessed are the peacemakers. And so with this, he, he outlines a new set of values in which they are to be living by and to be driven by, driven by. And if we are going to do what we are going to do for God, if we are doing it with some sort of reciprocal attitude, that we are somehow going to receive some reward, then we are sadly fooling ourselves if we're wanting it here on earth. If material wealth or prestige or some sort of recognition is what drives our faith, then we have sorely missed the mark entirely because that's the things that this world 
values. Those are the things that they put their value in. And so we don't have to be immersed in this world's culture. You don't have to, I'm going to just be carnal for a second. You don't have to watch MTV 24 hours a day to understand what's going on in this country. You don't have to be immersed in the culture to understand that that what the world values in this day is absolute contrast to what Scripture says is valuable. But can I tell you something? That was no different in Jesus' day. You see, Jesus flipped more than just money changing tables over. Jesus did more than just go into the temple and flip those tables over, but he turned common first century values upside down. He said things like this in Luke 6 and 24, but woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. It's there, it's done. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Jesus celebrated the poor whom the world despises, citing that it would be better to suffer and be hungry now that choosing self-satisfaction now and living in the lap of luxury now and pursuing your best life now on this earth have no, no hope in the next life because those who feel themselves now will starve in eternity. True disciples, if I am going to be a true disciple, I must value what God values. And there is absolutely nothing on this earth that God values more than people. You can search the world for its wonders. You can mine the most fertile fields and, and, and pull from it some of the most precious stones and, and, and precious. They put them on display and they are priceless. But I'm here to tell you that you can do all of that and none of it will add up to one single soul. There is nothing more valuable on this planet than the human soul. And so if I am going to be a disciple, I must value people but I must value all people. No matter their socioeconomic background, no matter their current state or station in life, no matter what their skin color is, or even what they believe, no matter what they, if they love me or if they love me not, or whether they accept me or whether they value me or not, I must value them because there is absolutely nothing more valuable than a soul. Jesus said it takes no effort to love those who will love you back. It takes no effort to love my dad. I know he loves me. I can call him I'll ask him something, he'll, he'll do anything for me. And he knows the same, it, it, it reciprocates. But it's no effort in that. There's no effort to love those who love you back. True disciples of Jesus love their enemies. And they, make, they help to make life better for those who otherwise make their lives miserable. Believers do good for people who hate them and Pray for them who despitefully use them and despise them and antagonize them and they do more than just talk about it. 
True disciples do more than just converse. They carry out. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The phrase teach all nations can be translated make disciples. Meaning to be a disciple of one to follow his precepts and his instructions and then turn and teach others the same. Can I say something that may cut across the grain of some, maybe not here today, but certainly in some circles, but church buildings do not make disciples. Now, I don't mean to insult your intelligence and I don't mean to sound flippant about this this morning, but I can no more become a disciple of Jesus by standing in this building today than I can become a mechanic by standing in a mechanic shop uptown. It's not gonna happen. Buildings do not make disciples. Disciples beget disciples and they do it intentionally and unintentionally. People shape people unequivocally because someone is watching and someone is watching what you do and someone is watching what you do not. And that's a double-edged sword that you can apply on either side. They are watching what you do. They are watching why you do what you do. And they are watching why you do not do what you do not. Disciples make disciples like themselves, whether they like it or not. Disciples make disciples like themselves and if we are going to make disciples for Jesus Christ we are going to have to do it his way and by his teaching and disciples do they teach by doing and as we learn to give those watching us will learn to give also now let me just pause here and say this with that statement if you're sitting here today and you think I've already learned how to do that I don't need to learn anymore about that then you are sadly mistaken because this is a process and we're all in a process. We're all on a journey and I don't ever want to have the mindset that I've made it, that I have somehow arrived. Paul said, I am stretching forth. I am attempting to press that mark. I'm trying to touch that mark, but I have not yet arrived. And if Paul could say that, I'm certain that I can stand here and say that this morning. I have not arrived. I have not learned all I need to learn, but I I am ever pressing forward to touch that mark. I want to be like him and I want others to see him in me. And so as I learn to give, God, I pray that those watching will learn to give also. As I learn to pray, those watching will learn to pray. As I learn to fast and to witness and to serve, then those watching will follow. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And if we are going to make disciples like Jesus, then they must see Jesus in us. Now, I'm just going to touch on this and back off. But unfortunately, many associate discipleship and the maturity in discipleship with supernatural ability. But let me go ahead and dispel the myth for you this morning. Gifts 
are not a mark of spiritual maturity. Now, don't misunderstand me. We need the gifts. We need them operating. But not everyone is going to possess those gifts. Get all the gifting you want to get. Go after it. I say go deeper and wider than you ever have before. Search after. Paul said go after them. But gifts are not a mark of spiritual maturity. The gifts are, are important. They're needful and they're absolutely necessary for the church. But, but spiritual maturity is marked by lifestyle. Who we are. I was cut at the knees as a young man. And I'll just be transparent. I was young. I was young in the Lord. And I heard someone speak with tongues one day. And I thought, well, that sounds different. So I asked my grandmother, I said, you think that was real? I will never ask that again. <laughs> now, I didn't mean any disrespect for that. But I understand that this treasure is in an earthen vessel. So please don't misunderstand me. I was not speaking against anyone. And she said, boy, people are known by their fruit, not their gift. You let the fruit talk for itself. Yes, ma'am. Wise. This may be the last time I ever stand behind this pulpit. The heart is known by the fruit that it bears. And we will be identified by that fruit. Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so whatever is in our heart will simply manifest itself outwardly. What goes in will eventually come out. It doesn't take long in a conversation for you to reveal your heart to someone and it doesn't take long for them to reveal their heart unto you. The words will eventually tell the story and our lives will emanate and our words will emanate and it will say the life that we lead and it will show it will show the world around us who we are. And so that is why it is so vitally important, so absolutely categorically important that we must be spirit-led to, de to develop a relationship with the source of our blessings and to develop a relationship with the source of our giftings is a must because Paul said it's either one or the other in Galatians 5 and 17 for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would and so we cannot be a disciple of Jesus without slaying this flesh Paul went on to say that the flesh manifests itself in a, in a myriad of inherently evil ways and he admonishes us to live a life that is spirit led rather than flesh driven and when we will get in relationship with the source and when we will get in relationship with the source of our strength this is the result but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, 
peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. That's what Paul was saying is the limitless life. That's what Paul was saying if you'll get in contact with him and if you'll stay in contact with him and if you'll stay in communion with him, you will reach maturity because the Spirit will lead you into it. A life that is built on that foundation will never lack. And a life that is led by his Spirit, although we may fall and stumble, will never run aground if we will keep connected to the source. And so we are to follow his lead. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus concludes his teaching with a parable. He likens the response to his word to two builders. Jesus tells us to build on the rock. He's telling them in that day to build on the solid foundation. To the Jews he spoke to that day, that rock was the Torah. It was Moses' teaching. And Jesus is putting himself in that lineage, in that line. He's saying, my words are the rock. And he asked them a question. And why you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. Jesus informs them that his teachings are the rock. He said that if you're going to confess my authority over you, then you must do the things that I am telling you to do because the, the, the declaration is meaningless unless it is accompanied by active obedience. Verses 47 through 49, he informs them that the result of the obedience and he also informs them of the disobedient faith in his teachings. The obedient man dug deep the obedient man went down into the bedrock while the disobedient built his house on sand. The obedient, the true disciple, dug through all those sandy places, through all of those, all of those shifty things, the sand of old habits he moved aside and the wrong thinking he moved it to the other side and he found the solidity of God's word building atop a firm foundation. Sadly, the other, the disobedient, the, the inerrant man, he, he just did what others might do in this world today and he just tried to add Jesus' values on top of shifting sands of worldly values that was already present. A quick and easy way of building, yes, absolutely. But the eventual erosion, and when I say eventual, I mean eventual erosion of humanistic reasoning will carry everything away with it in a flash. It's a faulty foundation. And so we must refuse to build on an unstable footing and we must dig down into the rock of his word. Luke 21 and 33, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not not pass away. The psalmist wrote, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And so we must construct every aspect of our lives intentionally on the principles of the kingdom of God. Every thought, every emotion, every friendship, 
our outreach, our finances, our private time, our work, our conflicts, all with the kingdom and the king in view, following his word intently. Our purpose is to become a disciple and to make disciples for him. And to do it, we must follow the leading and the teachings of Jesus himself. So now I'll revert to my opening comments. The act of following him may evoke some feelings of trepidation and perhaps you still feel the same way right now that we did when we began. This trepidation may result from the feeling of an overwhelming responsibility or it may be that to do so you may have to give up some things that you do not necessarily want to discard. And so the question remains, barrier or no barrier? Fence or no fence? Some would say tear down the fences because anything goes. That's liberty. Others would say build or build stronger restrictions because without many rules, people will not know the right things to do. But what if I told you this morning that there was a better way? And what if I told you that we can learn the concepts by looking at two very common animals? Stand with me, I'm closing. I present you with an elementary yet profound illustration. A farmer lives in a humble farmhouse with his family. The little farm with a, has a pasture with an old fence and a few cattle. The farmer also has a pet border collie who follows him everywhere. The bull likes to walk that old fence and look for a weak spot or an open gate. And when he can, he gets out. He runs up the lane to visit the neighbor's cows. The farmers talk with him about this. He's, he's told him how much he loves him and how much he cares for him. And he's made sure that he understands where his home is. Still, that bull just has to find a way out of that fence. But the border collie, however, lives on the back porch. The yard's not fenced in. In fact, she can get over any fence that's in that yard or on that property. So there's no point in trying to try to build one for her. But she never wanders down the road. The farmer can leave for an extended period of time. He can have friends go by and check on his old dog and she'll be right there at the house waiting for him to get back. So what's the difference between the bull and the dog? I'll tell you. It's simple. The bull has no loyalty to the farmer. He has no bond. He just wants to please himself and will only stay out of trouble if enough obstacles prevent him. But the dog... The dog can't imagine wandering away. Even though the road is accessible and easy to make it down, she understands that the farmer loves her and cares for her. She understands where her source of substance comes from. So I ask you simply this morning, who are you? Or who would you rather be? Do you love the master so much that it doesn't matter what he says? Your heart is set. Your mind is made up. Or are you searching the religious rites for a loophole? 
You see, the key to following the Lord's teaching is not searching a rule book for the do's and the don'ts, nor is it a secular mindset that gives cause to every whim of the flesh because of a false sense of of security and liberty. But being a disciple of Jesus is falling in love with him and having a relationship with him. You see, if I'll fall in love with his word, it won't matter what the rest of the world does. If I will fall in love with his word, it won't matter what my friends say or my coworkers attempt me to say. It won't matter where this world goes because the infilling of his spirit gives me the access to a kingdom that is far greater than anything that this life on this earth can ever offer. And in his kingdom, I'll say it again, and with his spirit, we can do and we can be and we can give everything that the Lord requires of us and we can do it with a pure heart and we can do it with gladness and we can do it with joy and we can do it with everything that we have inside of us because we've fallen in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It does not matter what he says, our hearts are fixed. Our minds are made up. Our lives are dedicated and surrendered to you, God. And so whatever you say goes, whatever you do will follow. Wherever you go, God, we will intently follow you and your teachings. We will do what your word says to do. And if you want that this morning, and if you agree with me, you ought to lift your hands and you ought to cry out to God in thanksgiving and utter worship and praise unto him for what he has provided unto us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We magnify your name. We give you praise and glory and honor. God, we thank you for allowing us to be in your service. God, we thank you for allowing us to enter into your presence. God, help us to do what you've called us to do and help us to do it with our whole heart and with our whole mind and with all of our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, why don't you clap your hands to the Lord and thank him for his mercy. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.